What's up everybody, Esoteric Eddie here, Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the audio version of Esoteric Eddie TV. I hope you enjoy this episode, peace. Five signs you are going through a spiritual awakening. What up, I'm gonna move through these five signs and then we're going to get deep, deep, deep. Number one, feelings of dissociation. Feeling like you are changing like the world around you is no longer the same. Feeling like you no longer resonate with the people, places, or things that you used to enjoy. Like you don't belong anywhere, as if you are from a different world. Number two, feelings of discomfort. You might be feeling new anxieties, new depressions, new changes within your body, like muscle spasms, pains, or strange physical phenomena that you can't explain. Number three, hallucinations and downloads. You might be seeing things that you didn't see before. You might be hearing things you didn't hear before. You might be experiencing paranormal activity, or you might be having very vivid lucid dreaming, deja vu, and visions. Number four, bliss and euphoria. You might be feeling strange occurrences of blissfulness or euphoria that come out of nowhere. You might have spurts of ecstasy within your body that were not provoked. These feelings are coming out of nowhere and you don't know why. Number five, out of body experiences and expanded consciousness. You might be having involuntary astral projections. You're leaving your body. You might be having these visions of music, of art, of strange cryptic messages coming to you. You might be having these new skills, these new heightened states of your senses, and also you might acquire new senses, new skills and abilities. Overall, your mind and awareness is expanding. What up everybody, Esoteric Eddie here, namaste. All right, so today we're gonna be moving through a whole bunch of information that I have here on my notes, in my notes, on my laptop, in my laptop. I don't know, it's all quantum. But um, yeah, so all this information having to do with spiritual awakenings and stuff of that nature, I'm going to be um, going over a little bit of cool history having to do with the early uh, Western research on Eastern philosophy and uh, spiritual awakenings and kundalini awakenings going over some of the the early researchers who brought that to the west going over some of the early yogis who brought that to the west as well and also talking about the correlation between spiritual awakenings and psychosis because a lot of times a spiritual awakening can resemble a psychosis a mental breakdown they are very very similar And I'm also going to be telling you uh, my personal story of going through a spiritual awakening. And this happened to me years ago. And I didn't know at the time that I was having a spiritual awakening. But looking back now, that's exactly what was happening. And so real quick, I just want to give you my definition of what a spiritual awakening is. Now, to me, a spiritual awakening... Well, actually, before we talk about a spiritual awakening... Let's simply talk about what a physical awakening is. Now, a physical awakening is us coming into this life, into this three-dimensional world, um, and uh, going through the process of understanding how to operate with our five senses. So, in this physical world, we 
toggle and interface with the three-dimensional world through our five senses, and we learn how to do that. That's a physical awakening. And so a spiritual awakening is the process of your consciousness expanding to the point where it disrupts your ordinary life and all of your physical and mental processes undergo an evolutionary change, which result in you questioning your entire existence and purpose in life. And the spiritual awakening heightens all of your five senses and in some cases allows you to acquire new senses. And so that's a spiritual awakening. And this can happen abruptly. This can happen rapidly. And it can be provoked by very minuscule things. It can be provoked by you simply just meditating. It can be provoked by drugs. It can be provoked um, without you trying to provoke it. You can literally just be walking down the street and it can just happen to you. A spiritual awakening can happen to anybody at any given moment. Now, of course, the yogis and mystics um, try to induce spiritual awakenings, but again, this can happen to anybody at any given moment, and we're going to learn and see, because it's not just some imaginary, fanatical, made-up thing by the hippies or mystics. A spiritual awakening is very much a physical process. It starts off as a physical process and then intertwines itself with the mental, emotional, and spiritual processes. And it is a science. It is a science that can be harnessed and, um, you know, uh, undergone through a methodical process. But it also is a very intense process, again, that can just happen to you at any given moment. And if you don't understand that it's happening to you, you might um, mistreat yourself as if you're going crazy. And a lot of people have been misdiagnosed as crazy who are going through spiritual awakenings you know so just like a snake shedding its old self a spiritual awakening can be very tumultuous it can be scary it can be painful because again your mind and your body are, are going through an entire redefinition process an entire rebirthing process you are being reborn again and just like when we were born the first time it is painful and scary, and we come through that a lot of times crying. But in some cases, as I mentioned earlier in the five signs, you can also come out of that in a blissful state. You might be feeling uh, maniacal um, ecstasy. You know, some babies come through laughing, smiling, or in, in, in peace and, and uh, tranquility. You know, but nonetheless, when you go through the process, it's an eradication of your entire existence, your old self, as you become your new self. And so before we get into the deep of all of this, um, I think it's important for us to talk about kundalini. Now, a spiritual awakening is synonymous with a kundalini awakening. Now, I've touched on this subject in some of my work, um, specifically my documentary and book, the crystal lattice mind illusion. And so for those of you who don't know, kundalini is a form of yoga which induces the spiritual awakening. And the uh, yoga that is the closest to kundalini yoga, or which is pretty much synonymous with kundalini yoga, is that of hatha yoga. 
And again, this is a physical process. So, so this isn't you just sitting there hugging a tree and saying, I'm one with nature. No, this is a very rudimentary and intense and serious process. So Kundalini was explained by the ancient yogis and was written down um, by them, by the rishis in the Upanishads. So the Upanishads are the pretty much the oldest text within the Vedantic uh, culture or traditions having to do with Kundalini. But of course, Kundalini has been practiced by all sorts of cult all sorts of cultures all around the world, probably since the beginning of our modern age. But they were initially written down and systematized by the rishis in the Upanishads. And so a lot of scholars over the decades and centuries have tried to decipher and decode what they were saying. And, and again, at first, the Westerners thought it was all just religious dogma, you know, whatever. But later, we've realized that, no, what they were explaining to us in the Upanishads, was, which was actually a rudimentary science of how to use yoga, which is basically a system of connecting the mind and body, to induce a spiritual awakening, induce a kundalini awakening. And so in the yogic tradition, kundalini, which means coiled, um, is an energy force that sits at the base of the spine. And at the base of the spine, there's a, uh, a center of nerves, a bunch of um, nerve endings or nerve hairs, which they call the sushumna. So again, at the, at the end of the spine, there is a center of nerves, specifically nerve hairs, called the sushumna by the classical yogis. And that is where the kundalini resides. And uh, a lot of times kundalini, also known as kundalini shakti, the coiled energy, the hidden or dormant energy is symbolized by a snake, a coiled snake. And the awakened kundalini is symbolized by a, a, an erect snake, you know, a, a snake that has been extended and awoken. And so at the base of the spine and the central nervous system, the entire nervous system that runs up and down the spine to the brain as well, sits the kundalini. And so what the yogis found um, was that practicing certain yogic postures and practicing certain um, meditation techniques and also certain breathing techniques, which we call breath work, you can basically fan the flames of those nervous fibers down there by the spine, wake them up or agitate them. You can agitate those nerves to such a point that they literally heat up and then activate a blast of energy, which again we call kundalini shakti, the vital energy life force. And not only does the um, nervous system activate with that intense energy, but it also helps that the process of going through that with the breathing and the meditating and the yogic posture also helps activate the CSF, the cerebral spinal fluid. And the cerebral spinal fluid is a canal that runs all the way up through the spinal cord around the brain hits the pineal gland, pineal gland circulates and goes all the way back down. So it circulates up and down. And so together you have the spinal cord, the, the CSF, 
and the nervous system um, acting together. And so when you activate all of that with the Kundalini yoga, what happens is your body goes through this intense process where it starts to activate a self-regulating and self-healing process. That blast of energy then goes through your body and as it goes through your body with the CSF, it starts to hit all the different centers, the different chakras uh, of your body. And as it hits those different centers, it basically analyzes the toxicity and then hits them and attempts to rewire them. And that's why when you go through Kundalini awakening or spiritual awakening, it can be painful and you can have convulsions and all these things because your body is literally having a surge of this intense nervous system energy and intense flow of CSF, cerebral spinal fluid. And as it moves through those, through those centers, it's going to hit blockages, actual, literal, physical and emotional blockages. And it's going to work at them until it can go through them. And that's why the kundalini, or sorry, that's why the classical yogis came up with the chakra system so that you can meditate on those centers as it moves through them. Because it's not going to go directly to your brain right away. It's going to move through the different parts of the body until it, until it has completely eradicated the toxicity within them, the physical and emotional toxicity. And so that is why people have these tumultuous journeys through a spiritual awakening because they have awakened that kundalini shakti they have awakened um this pranic force this energetic nervous system force that is now actively and forcefully moving itself through the body and again um analyzing the different organ systems the different centers of the body and as it analyzes them it also eradicates the toxic it also eradicates the toxicity and cleanses them and heals them and that's why at the end of this process you come out refreshed rebirth and everything is heightened because your entire body and beingness is now rebirth everything is literally rebirth you have shed all the toxicity and now everything is like it's brand new and that's why people report seeing colors so bright and vivid like they've never seen them before because everything gets reborn everything gets cleansed and so in short that's what kundalini shakti is and again it's synonymous with the spiritual awakening and the important thing to realize here is that a kundalini awakening occurs through the process of again sitting in certain yogic postures and the reason why we sit in these postures is to uh, open up the body and open up the channels so that they can flow efficiently you know so if you're like crumpled up or whatever obviously that's not going to allow the system the, the the csf or the vagus nervous system to flow efficiently it's going to be like grabbing a garden hose and putting a kink in it so that's why the yogic postures are so important, number one. And number two, you have to meditate, getting yourself into a focused state. Because if you're running around in the mind, then that's going to distract your body because the body and mind are connected. And so if you're running around in the mind, the 
Kundalini is not going to have that consciousness it needs to move and activate, you know, because it requires the mind to sit still. It requires the mind to be at peace so that it can do its job. Like, for example, if, you know, you're over here trying to awaken your Kundalini, but then you like turn your head to go look at the TV. It's like the Kundalini is going to be like, oh, okay, they're not serious. Like, they don't really want this. And so that can be disruptive, though, because, again, it's a physical energy. So if you're, if you're not giving it the peace and the time to do its thing and you're becoming distracted, um, it's going to just jump and move around. And that's why people who are unprepared for this have those very detrimental experiences because they're not, they're not trained or disciplined enough to to meditate through that and so they're becoming afraid they start to feel the energy uh jerk around and jolt and so they start to break their meditation and start to freak out like oh my gosh what's happening what's happening and then the, the kundalini receives that energy energy and gets freaked out and starts to jump around and before you know it the energy runs wild and just like electricity it's literally jumping out and trying to ground itself throughout your body and that's why people convulse and all these things and of course those are, those are going to have uh, damaging effects on your brain and because your brain is connected to all of that and that's when you start having the hallucinations and freaking out and so this is a process that requires patience and meditation and the third thing which is very important as well is the breath work which um, has to do with what the yogis called prana and prana doesn't necessarily mean air or breath prana is actually just a vital um, life force Right, And so in my book, The Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion, I went over the four fundamental forces of the nature, of nature, the electromagnetic, um, the weak nuclear, the strong nuclear, and the gravitational. And I also went over um, what many scientists and quantum physicists have been looking for, which is the fifth uh, force of nature. And so that's what we call consciousness or prana. Um, you know, and it, it exists everywhere. It is the, is the force that interlocks everything. And so that's actually more of what prana is. Prana is the force that sustains everything at the quantum level. If you've read my book or have watched my documentary, it's more in line with what I call the ohm vibration. It is the literal energy that, that sustains the simulation. Without it, pretty much everything would just collapse. And so when we breathe and when we do breath work, what we're doing is we're calling in that prana, calling in that vital energy source. And again, because we are breathing through intense techniques, we are what they call fanning the flame. We're kind of exciting our body, exciting our nervous system, exciting our blood because blood runs off uh, or blood operates with oxygen. So when we're doing the breath work, fanning the flame of kundalini, we are exciting the body, the nervous system, the brain, the blood, the CSF. And so we're, we're allowing that energy to build up um, with the meditation, you know, focusing on the, the chakra centers and um, with the yogic postures. And so with all of that combined, the breath work begins to forcibly activate the nervous system, activate all of that, and then cause it to burst. And so with all of those three together, the energy burst, and then it shoots up through the kundalini system, the kundalini shakti system, 
up into the brain and again circulates into the pineal gland and then all the way back. And so you have this intense awakening. And um, that's basically what uh, Kundalini is in short, and that's its correlation to a spiritual awakening. And there's so much information out there on Kundalini, and we'll touch a little bit more on it here. And um, but just real quick, that that base at the bottom of your spine, where the nervous system also ends, is called by the yogis as Sushumna. So the Sushumna is where the Kundalini lives, and it lives at that central nervous area where a bunch of fibers are just hanging out. And so when we activate that Sushumna, that's where the Kundalini then shoots off into the brain. But yeah, anyways, so we're going to get deep into this, my friends. I used a few Eastern sources for this presentation and a few Western sources for this information. And the main Eastern source for this presentation is Gopi Krishna. I'm going to get more into him and his life in a second, but Gopi Krishna basically was one of the first Easterners to bring the information about Kundalini to the West back in the 60s, right at the onset of the hippie and New Age movement, which is strange, man. It's strange how all that happens. You know, there are certain epics in time where it's like obvious that God was doing some major work, you know, like it's no coincidence that at the time when the Americans were coming up with the flower power movement, the hippie movement, the new age movement and all of that, the, the Easterners came and then brought their aspect to it and just further fanned the flames of what would become the spiritual community of today. So, Gopi Krishna says of Kundalini that Kundalini connected with the lower end of the spine, which becomes active by means of certain exercises, and when once roused, carries the limited human consciousness to transcendental heights, endowing the individual with incredible psychic and mental powers. Again, basically just reiterating what I've already said, this is a rudimentary physical process that forces your consciousness to expand. And what that means is basically all of your senses become heightened and you also acquire new forms of senses via clairvoyance, visions, and such. And he also says here, Kundalini represents the cosmic vital energy lying dormant in the human body, which is coiled around the base of the spine, a little below the sexual organ, like a serpent fast asleep and closing with her mouth, the aperture of the sushumna, the hair-like duct rising through the spinal cord to the conscious center at the top of the head. When aroused, kundalini, they said, rises through the sushumna like a streak of lightning carrying with her the vital energy of the body, which for the time being becomes cold and lifeless, with complete or partial cessation of vital functions, to join her divine spouse, Shiva, in the last or seventh center in the brain. In the course of this process, the embodied self, freed from the bondage of flesh, 
passes into a condition of ecstasy known as samadhi, realizing itself as deathless, full of bliss, and one with the all-pervading supreme consciousness. And so again, when we go through this process, whether induced or involuntary, um, basically we enter a state eventually of hallucination or of psychedelicness where we realize what we really are. We, we realize that we are consciousness and we realize that there is an all-pervading consciousness. You know, again, psychedelics is kind of a fast way of doing this. And the psychedelic process is basically um, a spiritual awakening, right? The psychedelic process is, is, is an induced spiritual awakening, but it's not, it's not a lasting awakening. It's kind of a cheap trick to have a, to have a spiritual awakening. It's the same exact thing. When you do psychedelics, you have an, uh, an eradication of everything you knew about yourself and life, and you go through hallucinations and all these convulsions and weird emotional and physical processes, and then you come out of that kind of in a blissful, euphoric state. Like when you're coming down off of mushrooms, in example, you enter that euphoric state where you're kind of just tranquil and, and have this gratitude about everything. But before you know it, you kind of just get back to work life or whatever, you know. And a lot of people use these things or abuse these things as party drugs. So again, psychedelics are like a quick way to have a spiritual awakening. But the correct way to do it would be sober through your mind and body connection so that you can have a longer lasting effect experience and actually build that true connection with the all-pervading consciousness. Psychedelics are basically a quick way to go through this process. And real quick, you can go through this process not even trying to have it at all. Like, for example, when I'm at the gym sometimes, I am hitting those three requirements for a kundalini awakening. A lot of times I'm, you know, me or you will be standing in a certain posture, right? We're standing in an upright posture and I'm breathing a period, uh, I'm breathing systematically and heavily as I'm lifting my weights. So I got the breathing in, I got the posture in, and a lot of times I'll be meditating, literally meditating. I'll be focusing on one point in my mind as I'm going through my lifting process. And so those three requirements for the Kundalini, the breath work, the posture, and the meditation can be done in many different instances in life. And that's why sometimes when we're working out and when we're done working out, we kind of feel renewed. We kind of like microdose Kundalini. And um, as we'll see in Gopi's Krishna's uh, instance, it can come about by any any meditation. You might you could be at work. You could be at work just droning out, sitting in your chair, kind of just just breathing normally or or maybe hyperventilating a little bit because you're stressed out or whatever. You, as long as those three requirements are there in some form or fashion, kundalini or spiritual awakenings can happen. And so you can be at work just chilling and just droning out, zoning out, and then out of nowhere just be hit with this sense of an awakening like, whoa, what is life? What is all of this? And then that can carry on into a bigger awakening. So as we'll see in, in one of the later quotes, um, a lot of the yogis believed that a spiritual awakening was always initiated by some sort of thought first. That, that, it, that although, as I say, it can happen to anybody at any given moment, the yogis believe, the mystics believe, 
that people who underwent an involuntary spiritual awakening um, went through that because they were predisposed to it by some thought or some experience. So you might be walking around and you might just see a piece of art. And this is why art is so important. You might just see a piece of art that just kind of, just kind of stuck with you, that kind of perplexed you, and it just stayed in your mind. That's where the meditation begins. And so it's in your mind, and you're just thinking for days, like, wow, that was so provocative. I wonder what that means. And so you start to question life. And so it's that, that meditation, that questioning, that introspection that can kick everything else into its process. And so, um, yeah, it can happen to anybody at any given moment. But the yogis believe it always starts with that predisposed incident of us um, being perplexed by something and going inward. Again, Gopi Krishna says here, except for the fact that it is attended by psychic manifestations of an extraordinary nature presenting an appearance of abnormality, the awakening of Kundalini is a perfectly natural biological phenomenon of an uncommon kind, demonstrable by any healthy human body on the attainment of a certain state of evolutionary perfection. The only peculiarity which gives it a semblance of the bizarre and the uncanny is the biological process which, set afoot, leads to the emergence of a conscious personality so superior and possessing such astounding, almost superhuman attributes as to make the whole phenomenon appear to be the performance of a supernatural agency rather than the outcome of the operation of a natural though as yet unknown biological laws. Basically just saying what I just said, you know, it's like this process, if you have, if you have no context, no prior experience or knowledge of spirituality or Eastern philosophy, anything like that, <clears throat> when you undergo this process, it's going to be crazy, it's going to be scary, it's going to be divine, outerworldly, and again, you might misdiagnose it as you going crazy. <clears throat> but as Gopi Krishna was saying, and as I've been saying, this is a process that, again, anybody can undergo. It's already within us. And so it may, it may seem extraordinary, but it's actually a very um, attainable and natural thing that resides within us. It's only unnatural and extra extraordinary because we've been detached from that spiritualness. Um, that was normal, you know, to us during the Atlantean age or the ancient age of the modern times. You know, back in the day, all sorts of cultures had systems for this. Basically, every spiritual system, even the mainstream religions, are teaching a form of this. Every spiritual system is basically teaching some form of kundalini or spiritual awakening. All of it. All of it. Even like Christianity, you know, the, when we're sitting there praying, meditating, saying these mantras, singing these, these, these chants, everything, everything is just a different form or method to awaken the mind and body connection so that you can realize that you are infinite and, are, and actually realize the power and potency of the God consciousness that exists with that, w around us. And so, um, 
again, <clears throat> with this comes a lot of initial negative effects, which should eventually go away if, you know, you persevere through it or are being properly guided by a master. And so I'm going to just go through some various um, negative effects that Gopi Krishna felt um, during his Kundalini experience, which we're going to talk about a little later in this. So some general negative effects that you might undergo through a Kundalini or spiritual awakening are convulsions, spasms, of course, again, because the physical energy is shooting through your body and, and, and brain, which is obviously going to affect motor senses. Sporadic breathing, of course, again, hyperventilation, the body and brain freaking out paralysis and so again these physical effects all have to do with the ner nervous system freaking out and activating so you might go through paralysis not just because of the physical component but because you are freaking out so intensely in your mind that it induces a paralysis vibrations or tingles Again, all of this is just coming back to the nervous system, right? You're these vibrations, these tingles, out-of-body experiences, expansions of consciousness. Uh, as this is happening, your, your mind is so intensely activated that it slips out of the body. You might even feel unmotivated, as Gopi Krishna did, you know. So, again, one of the early signs of a spiritual awakening is this is this depression stage this initial feeling of like nothing is normal anymore like your your life and the world around you has changed that might cause you to become unmotivated so if you start to feel like you're not motivated to do the things you used to do that's a sign that you are having your kundalini awakening and the reason we feel like that is because um it's it's a mental expression of what's happening physically and vice versa. As the Kundalini awakens, our body is going through a chemical change, an actual anatomical change. And that change, it can be like taking a medicine. When you take a medicine, what do they say? All these different effects. You might feel drowsy, nausea, or whatever, because the physical effects are going to ripple outward into mental expressions. And so as you're going through these physical effects, your body is changing. And so you're starting to feel different. And you might feel like, wow, like, I don't want to go outside today. I don't want to go see my family or whatever. And it's, although it's negative on the surface level, it can be an indication of a positive thing, which is the spiritual awakening. And so you are changing physically and mentally. And also, if you are, if you are living a toxic life, that can be a major reason why. If you're living a toxic, toxic life of partying and, and stuff like that, or whatever it is, um, and it, obviously, when you go through this, you're going to start to detach from that because naturally the kundalini and the spiritual awakening is going to lift you upward towards God consciousness, towards positivity, towards a stronger um, state of being. And so anything that's weakening you or killing you, the energy is going to want to dissociate from. And so, yeah, you might find certain friendships, certain activities. Um, no longer resonant, you know, and you might not even know or think that your life is toxic, you know, like you might think that your, the life you have is awesome. Like, yeah, heck yeah. But unbeknownst to you, it's actually very toxic and damaging to you. And so again, if you don't 
see that or feel that because you're living at a low vibration and you're kind of just unconscious about the things you're doing and the people you're hanging out with. When you go through this, you're going to start to question all that. And you're going to be like, wow, like maybe I don't like drinking. Maybe I don't like doing drugs. Maybe I don't like having meaningless sex. You know, maybe I don't like just wasting away and watching TV, you know, so all these things are going to come up and be questioned by you and the energy. And of course, feeling crazy. You know, that goes unsaid. All of this is going to lead you to feel crazy at some point because in some severe cases, again, you're going to hallucinate. You're going to have visions. You're going to have strange dreams and downloads and um, feeling a fire running through the spine and seeing strange geometric patterns when you close your eyes. So, Again, there's a strong correlation between psychedelics and spiritual awakenings, kundalini awakenings. They're basically the same thing, just on different spectrums. And in one sense, the, the yogic path prepares you for psychedelics. You know, if you can go through the yogic path of the breathing, the meditating, the postures, that all prepares you for the psychedelics. And both of them basically prepare us for death. All of it prepares us for the death process, which is a literal dying and rebirthing process. But this feeling of fire, as Gopi Krishna explains, and as we'll see, is the literal feeling of the energy moving up and down your kundalini system. It's a, you actually feel intense heat and sometimes intense cold. Um, and so all of this can result in an, in an initial phase of feeling like you are in a haze, like nothing makes sense. You are no longer your old self. You're unmotivated. It's all hazy and vague, but that's because your body is going through this redefining process in which you will come out of a reborn golden divine being. All right, so one of the first Westerners to bring information on Kundalini Yoga to the West was a man by the name of Frederick Wortham, who also wrote under a pseudonym of F.I. Winter. And I got a lot of the information on him from an awesome dissertation written back in 2010 by a guy named Gabriel N. Mendez. Shout out to Mendez. Apparently, he is or was a professor at UCSD. Shout out San Diego, baby. And so, in this awesome dissertation, he explains that Wortham, again, was one of the first to bring this whole information on yoga, on kundalini and spiritual awakenings to the West. and um, attach it to um, psychology, to Western psychology, and begin to analyze the similarities of the systems. And so, Wortham wrote a very important article back in 1918 in a journal back then known as Quest. And this article titled The Yoga System and Psychoanalysis, he begins to, again, analyze the similarities of these systems. Wortham was an interesting guy, so he had a lot of success within the academia world. He, he taught at certain colleges and worked at certain colleges and institutions on the East Coast back in the early 1900s, and eventually he joined a group of psychologists who were the first to start to implement a lot of the Eastern philosophy within the field of psychology. And more specifically, 
Um, he joined the International Journal of Psychoanalysis, which was established in 1922. And again, it was through that group where he started to really analyze the Eastern system and apply it to Western psychology. This is what Gabriel and Mendes says about um, Wortham. The proper aim of psychoanalysis, the Western system, he believed was the development from a method or practice of healing into a, into a philosophical system akin to the history of yoga's progression from method to system. Wortham argued that both yoga and psychoanalysis sought to navigate the relationship between the objective and subjective realms by mastering the disposition of both physical and psychic energy. Yeah, pretty awesome. So, to Wortham and the early Westerners, and even to today, the psychoanalytic system, the psychological system of the West basically tries to tap into the mind, go inward introspectively and pull whatever's in there out so that we can understand the outward expression, the outward live of the individual and um, help to basically rewire them, help to rebirth them. But we just do it in a more rudimentary, systematic, institutionalized way. Whereas the yogic way, the Eastern way, is yes to go inward through these uh, yogic processes, but um, it's 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 less self-centered actually because, as we'll see, as they say also, the Western way is so is so self-centered. It's so based on you know what happened to me and how can I explain what happened to me so that I can um, rectify it or amend it, and live a, a renewed life. The Western way is a self-centered way that analyzes the individual and their traumas so that they can amend them and be reborn that way. The Eastern way is a non-self-centered way that doesn't focus on the ego or the self, but simply focuses on the mind and body connection and utilizes that process through Kundalini to eradicate any and all toxicity to be reborn, not into just a new self, but a self that is connected or reconnected to the God consciousness and now has an open and strong connection to that force. So the systems are, are very different. Western system, very ego, self-centered which has its place, the Eastern system is non-egoic and centered around connecting to the God consciousness. For example, Wortham says here, the yoga method endeavors to suppress the coming into consciousness of impressions or images and thoughts, whereas the chief aim of psychoanalysis is to bring unconscious elements of the mind to consciousness. So basically saying that the yoga method tries to um, suppress, in his words, or stop the mind from bringing these individual dogmas to the forefront of the meditation. The whole point of yogic, med of the whole point of yogic meditation is to stop the mind from identifying with anything. 
so that we can undergo the kundalini process and reconnect with god consciousness because all these traumas archetypes emotions feelings and stuff that we identify with are just made up they're all illusions right even the, even the self is an illusion we are just an accumulation of all the culture and experiences we've undergone and so the yogic tradition attempts to clear all of that and recalibrate the mind and body with a pure connection to god consciousness redefine the entire existence and system so the western system kind of does the opposite it takes all of the traumas and archetypes that the self has utilized to build up a personality and life and dogma about itself and existence and questions them and breaks them down and takes what is useful and not useful and rebuilds itself with them. For example, the yogic tradition would say, you know, you are not your experiences. You are not your traumas. You are not what you've gone through. You are simply just consciousness observing it all. So what do you want to be? Do you want to be happy or do you want to be sad? And the Western tradition basically says, yeah, you are an accumulation of all the things you've gone through, but you don't have to identify with them. You don't have to live your life based on them. And so let's work through them and let's ask ourselves, let's analyze, you know, why these things continue to become an influence on our lives, why they continue to make us who we are and ask ourselves whether we want this to continue or not. And both of those, um, pro both of those traditions come to the same conclusion. You know, do you want to continue being the person you are? Yes or no. If not, then that's the next step. That's when we have to go through healing. And both of them are a healing process in themselves. You know, going to therapy is a healing process. Um, going through uh, the yogic process is a is a healing process in itself but they both just come to the conclusion of us being able to rebirth ourselves being able to redefine ourselves and once we're done with the initial therapeutic process the kundalini process or the psychoanalytic process we still have to go through a follow-up therapeutic process of learning how to be our new self all right, so that was Frederick Wortham, again, one of the first to start analyzing the Eastern philosophy and applying it to Western philosophy. And right after him followed one of my favorite motherfuckers of all time, C.G. Jung, Carl Gustav Jung. That's right, Mr. Jung. So, um, Jung obviously took what Wortham did and amplified it. I mean, Jung basically was the first to really intensively start to analyze the Eastern philosophies and integrate them with the Western philosophies. And he wrote, as I quote, when you succeed in awakening the Kundalini so that it starts to move out of its mere potentiality, you necessarily start a world which is totally different from our world. It is a world of eternity. 
Yeah, because when you go through the process of kundalini or spiritual awakening, you start to realize the infiniteness, the infiniteness of everything. You start to realize the eternalness of your being, and you can actually sense the presence of God in the infinite realms. That's why the yogic traditions um, speak on self-realization or call that self-realization. You are literally realizing your true self. And so, um, Young, again, was one of the very first to start speaking on this. And one of his early thoughts on this, as I quote, was that yoga was originally a natural process of introversion. Such introversion led to characteristic inner processes of personality changes. Yoga was basically the first psychology. <clears throat> yoga was basically the first psychological system. The system of going inward and reprocessing the mind and body. You know, you could go through a trauma, whether physical or emotional or mental, and then undergo the yogic process and have that healed. That was our first way as humans to kind of um, help heal each other and help heal ourselves and what we've been through. And so to young, yoga was used for that purpose, to help heal and deal with outward manifestations of what's happening inside of us. And so basically yoga stops the mind and body for a moment in space and time to reanalyze everything and recalibrate it. But Carl Jung um, realized that this was a non-egoic process or should be a non-egoic process and that when somebody goes through kundalini or spiritual awakening they should not make the mistake of identifying with the process not saying that oh like i'm going crazy or i am gaining superpowers like no this has nothing to do with you this is just you simply um being upgraded by nature you know, some people make the ego, the egoic mistake of saying, "Oh, like I'm a I'm a super being or whatever. Like I'm I'm powerful. I'm an Elohim. I'm a god or whatever." When this is just a natural process that's available to all of us, and it's dangerous to identify with it because not only can it be egoic and inflate your ego, but when you go through it, you might say, "I'm going crazy." You know, this is happening to me, and I'm never going to get out of this. No, it's just like it's just like being on a roller coaster, you know? It's like it's 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 not going to it's not going to be forever. It's it's not you're not the roller coaster. The roller coaster is an experience that you're going through. So, um yeah, young uh warned about that a lot and he learned that from the yogis because again, it's a non-egoic system. It has nothing to do with you. It's just a rudimentary process that you go through. It's like stepping through some sort of machine, right? The machine being the Kundalini awakening, you stepping through it and allowing it to um, process your entire mind and body and do its job to recalibrate you. And yes, you come out of that reborn and rebirth, but um, while you're going through it, it's dangerous to identify yourself with the the kundalini it's not you that's doing this it's the kundalini doing this to you all right so i want to touch on gopi krishna's experience i think it's important because again he was one of the first 
to bring this whole idea and information to the West through his book, Kundalini, The Evolutionary Energy in Man, which the hippies loved. So he published this right at the onset of the hippie movement. And so his book was widely published and read by a lot of the hippies. And so they were fascinated with Kundalini because to them it sounded like um, LS, an LSD trip. And so a lot of the hippies loved the Kundalini idea because now we could have psychedelic experiences without having to take drugs. And you can, you can access your body and mind in such a way where you can have psychedelic experiences. And so this was very resonant with the early hippie movement. They loved it and it created a surge of Eastern teachers to migrate over here and start all kinds of organizations and Gopi Krishna's book was very um, tantamount in that happening. It was, it pioneered the way for a lot of the Eastern teachers to come over here and pioneered the way for a lot of us Westerners to be opened up to these teachings. But uh, he was just a normal guy. He actually worked for the state government in Kashmir and he was also a very avid women's rights activist, which I thought was really cool. And yeah, just a normal dude, you know, worked for the government, was, was an activist. Um, but of course, being in, Indian in culture and practicing um, Hinduism um, due to his culture, he believed in meditation. And so he would meditate every now and then. And in his book, he details how his awakening happened, why it happened. And it happened because of meditation, because of the three basic elements of yogic posture, meditation, and breathing techniques. And so he says that one day he was meditating and focusing on a light in his mind that was centered towards the crown of his head. And while he was focusing on that light, he started to imagine a lotus flower and focusing on that lotus flower. And slowly, while he was deeply entranced in meditation, he started to detach from his body. His mind and body no longer identified as one unit. They separated. And then his entire surroundings disappeared. And he was basically just in a state of pure consciousness. And he felt an inkling of the Kundalini at the Sushumna. He felt this sensation at the base of the spine. And um, it frightened him. It startled him. And so he broke his meditation to focus in on it, like, whoa, what the heck is that? And the moment he did that, the sensation went away. Again, like this process needs and requires you to be meditative and patient. So that happened a couple of times. He'd be, he, he would go back into meditation, and the kundalini started to slowly open up, and it would frighten him, and he would focus on it, and then it would go away. So this happened a couple of times until eventually... He was able to just focus through it and allow it to do his thing. And when he did that, he felt this sensation of liquid rushing up through the spine and hitting his brain. And as that happened, he felt a rushing and roaring noise in his head. And so that was basically the CSF, the, cere the cerebral spinal fluid and the energy flowing through the nervous system rushing up and hitting his brain. And as that happened, he had an outer body experience. He astral projected and became what he explained as pure consciousness and hit this blissful realm of just pure 
consciousness connecting with the God consciousness. But when he came back from that, he felt intensely weak and exhausted, as most of us will as we go through a kundalini or spiritual awakening, because it takes a lot of energy to move through the body and mind to push the consciousness into an expansion because it has to move through not just the physical toxicity and blockages, but the emotional, spiritual, and mental blockages as well. It takes a lot out of you. It's like sprinting at full speed. You know, of course, you're going to feel exhausted after that. And so he had a few of those experiences. And at the time, he, he knew a little bit about kundalini and all of that because of his younger years and studying the occult and esotericism but he didn't really understand that that's what he was going through and it took him years before he was able to go through the therapeutic process of understanding what was happening to him and how to deal with it another thing that i found interesting was that during one of his other involuntary kundalini awakenings he heard this droning noise which he explained as i quote here there was now a cadence like the humming of a swarm of bees, enchanting and melodious. And to me, that kind of reminds me of the, the droning noise that most people hear before they blast off on DMT. So to me, it's clear that he was undergoing a kundalini process that was hitting his pineal gland, which was excreting DMT. And so he was hearing that droning, buzzing noise and blasting off through the conscious expansion. And so of those experiences, he says, and I quote here, my thoughts were in a daze. I could hardly believe that I had a vision of divinity. There had been an expansion of my own self, my own consciousness, and the transformation had been brought about by the vital current that had started from below the spine and found access to my brain through the backbone. Touching on the initial negative effects of his awakening, he said, why did I feel uneasy and depressed instead of feeling exceedingly? I felt as if I were in imminent danger of something beyond my understanding and power, something intangible and mysterious, which I could neither grasp nor analyze. A heavy cloud of depression and gloom seemed to hang around me, rising from my own internal depths without relation to external circumstances. I did not feel I was the same man I had been but a few days before. Again, his mind and body were reacting to the changes that were taking subtly within him at the quantum level, which would later fractalize outward into real physical expressions and mental expressions. And Gopi Krishna says also, with the awakening of Kundalini, the arrangement suffers a radical alteration affecting the entire nervous system as a result of which other and more extensive groups of nerves are stirred to activity. The far-reaching effects of this immensely augmented flow of a new form of vital current into the cephalic cavity through the spinal cord before the system becomes fully accustomed to it may be visualized by considering the effects of a sudden increase in the flow of blood to the brain, such as faintness, complete, ins complete insensibility, excitement, irritability, or in extreme cases, delirium, paralysis, or death. Yeah, so basically saying that the kundalini system, the, the, the nervous system, the CSF, the pineal gland and its DMT, all of that can cause these effects, obviously. 
And he and the yogis believe that when we do this, we actually open ourselves up to intaking that fifth element, that new vital current, as he says, that new energy source. So the yogis, the mystics, when they awaken through a spiritual awakening or a kundalini awakening, they are no longer just operating from the usual bodily functions, but we are actually operating from an unseen and new vital energy source. So we are literally operating with God consciousness within us, with that fifth element, with that underlying energy force. So we literally become in tune with source, in tune with God, and have that stronger sensibility and stronger connection. And our entire beingness is now operating from a mystical source a new powerful energetic force. All right, transitioning from Gopi Krishna, we're going to talk a little about the idea about the correlation between a spiritual awakening and a psychosis, because again, they are very similar. Now, one of the first people to write an awesome book about that correlation was Lee Sanella. Lee Sanella wrote this amazing book, which I think everybody should check out, titled Kundalini, Psychosis, or Transcendence, which I think I referenced in my Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion book. And again, it's an awesome book that analyzes the correlation and one that was one of the first to do so here in the West back in the 70s. Now, Lee Sanella was initially an eye doctor, and he was an awesome guy, very beloved by his community, actually lived most of, most of his life up in Northern California in the Petaluma and Walnut Grove area. Shout out to Northern California. I love it out there. I used to live up in Santa Rosa, did a lot of work in the Petaluma area. An amazing time in my life. But anyway, Lee Sinella was an amazing and beloved person of the community and was known for helping a lot of people who um, didn't have a lot of money. And he would actually take uh, whatever they had. He would he would allow them to barter for his services and would take food from a lot of farm farmers and uh, whatever, f any services they had. So he was a man of the people. He was a man of the people. He would help them in their financial struggles and help heal them and whatever troubles and issues they had with their eyes. And it's kind of funny that he would help them with their eyes, you know. The eye, of course, being the symbol of the window to the soul. Later in his life, he co-founded the Kundalini Center or clinic in San Francisco back in 1974. Awesome guy, you know, so he had a clinical background, you know, a background in academia, in, in the medicinal field, but slowly transitioned into integrating the Eastern philosophy with what he was doing. He believed that Kundalini was a serious process that could induce psychosis if people weren't guided properly through it. And he understood that a lot of the physical effects of Kundalini and spiritual awakenings was due to the fact that, that the nervous system was firing at such a rapid and unprecedented way that it was causing the brain, certain brain centers to be activated and hit which would result in people convulsing and talking in tongues and doing all kinds of weird stuff. And in his book, he demonstrates how 
the, the process of Kundalini awakening was utilized by all kinds of different cultures. Again, you know, the, it's most famous in the Vedantic systems, right? The Hindu systems um, of yoga. But there's all sorts of cultures around the world that were activating Kundalini through their own way. Again, all you really need is that yogic posture, the breathing, and the meditation. And one example that he used was the Kung people of, of Kalahari in Botswana. They would activate Kundalini by doing certain dances. So, not necessarily sitting in a yogic posture, but still, you know, using the body and activating it through meditation and breathing because of the dancing. And so, you don't necessarily have to sit in a crisscross form. I mean, that obviously helps, but just using the body through some patterned uh, action, whether it's dancing or working out or running or whatever, it's just the pattern and the posture, right? The, 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 the posture has to be patterned. So if you're going to sit there, obviously it's being patterned because you're sitting in one pattern, but dancing in a trance or frequented pattern, uh, a way with the breathing and meditation can also activate Kundalini. So yeah, again, Lee Sinella, he demonstrates how Kundalini awakening has been used by all sorts of different cultures in their own way. It's a process that any of us can activate and can find new interesting methods to do so. All right, so I'm going to take a quick break and tell you my story that happened to me years ago. So this happened probably right around 2013, 14, around there. At this time, I was living in my first apartment with my best friend at the time in Oceanside, California, right by the beach, man. It was an awesome place. And I was going through a lot in my life. And remember, the yogis say that a kundalini awakening will be initiated if the person is predisposed to a, an intense introspective experience. So if you are going through an intense change in your life, that can cause a kundalini awakening because the mind is so excited and the body starts to undergo certain anxieties and depressions and it starts to activate the nervous system and the brain and the CSF and everything just slowly starts to activate. And so at this time, I just moved out of my parents' house for the first time. So that was a huge change for me. So living in my first apartment was fending for myself, you know, learning what it was like to be an adult, literally going through the growing pains of being an adult for the first time. And it was a tough time. It was a tough time, man. I was broke. I remember many times me and my friend would go to the grocery store and we would steal our groceries. It was embarrassing, man. It was embarrassing. I, I don't... Um, you know, I don't steal anymore. I had a terrible stealing problem back in the day, but I wouldn't steal a grape now. But back then, you know, I, I felt like I had no other option, man. You know, and there was this one time real quick where I literally filled up my entire cart with my groceries. And what we would do is just scan like one or two items at the self-checkout, pay for those and then leave with everything else. And it's one time I was doing it like I normally would. And one of the the uh workers there questioned me and asked to see my receipt 
And I got all mad and was like, I already threw it away. Leave me alone. And then they're like stopping me from leaving. The manager comes out and he's like, hey, no problem. You know, we believe you that you bought the groceries. We just need to see the receipt. And I was like, it's in the fucking trash somewhere, dude. I don't know. Let, leave me alone. I just created a big scene. Just so embarrassing. And obviously I was creating a scene because I knew I just stole all these groceries. But I was also in a fight or flight state because I knew if I didn't get these groceries, it mean I wouldn't have food for a week, pretty much. I remember, I think I only paid for like the grapes or something. So I went, I said, you know what? Fuck it. You can have all the groceries, but I'm taking these grapes. And so I left with the grapes and left the store and just ran home. Um, so yeah, this was just an intense time, man. It was an intense time. I left my parents' house for the first time, had my first apartment, was dealing with, you know, being broke and just all these things. And my friend spiraled into a, a very crazy uh heroin addiction and so i had to see him in that state which was wasn't traumatizing at first you know i mean obviously it was affecting me subconsciously is what i'm saying like i had to be strong for me and him and allow him the space to be who he was at that time but it was it was hard to see him like that you know it was hard to have to live with somebody like that and i tried to be there for him in the way that i could but i was undergoing my own traumas as well or undergoing my own difficulties i just i should say and so i'm going through all of that and there were a lot of other things in my life that were happening that were very difficult and so it was just it was a stressful time very stressful time and at the same time i was learning so much occult and esoteric knowledge like rapidly learning all i wanted to do was read i think it was kind of my escape at the time i was a security guard <laughs> that's a whole nother story um I was working different gigs as a security guard, you know, a lot of times you'll have different posts. And so I had a post at the local library, which was right down the street from my house. So it was cool. I would just walk there and post up. And um, that was a stressful job because it was in downtown Oceanside at the library. And so I would have to deal with all kinds of transients. But I remember everywhere I went, I would bring uh, one of my books. And so whenever I could, I would sneak in a little bit of reading time. And to be honest, sometimes I would leave, leave my post when I knew it was going to be slow and there wasn't going to be any danger. I would leave my post and go find a little corner and just hide and read. And I remember one of my other posts was guarding this synagogue. I was guarding this synagogue and it was just so boring, dude, like nothing would ever happen. So I would just literally stand there and just read. And I, re I remember this one time, one of the people from the synagogue got mad at me and was like, we hired you to protect us. Like, what if somebody comes with a gun or whatever? And I was like, all right, fair enough. So I stopped reading. But basically, it was an intense time where I was going through a lot of intense physical and mental stress, but also rapidly learning a lot of intense occult and esoteric knowledge. And so I remember it just all culminated in in and just... Um, resulted in a spiritual awakening. But also, I need to add, at that same time, me and my friends went and we stole a Freemason sign, which I still have pictures of. I've told this story on different podcasts, but there was a local Freemason lodge in Oceanside, and it had the female Freemason sign outside of it. I forgot what they're called. Oh, Order of the Eastern Star. They had this awesome Order of the Eastern Star sign outside. And if you've never seen it, it's a provocative fucking pentagram, a literal pentagram, a colorful pentagram. 
And so we stole it one night and brought it back to the apartment and we had it on our coffee table. And I remember like kind of feeling weird about it. Like it was cursed or something. Like it had some heavy energy. And I remember one time my friend, my friend Eddie, another Eddie came over and we were playing chess and hanging out all night. And he brought uh, a bunch of his homemade edibles. And so I'm like eating a bunch of these edibles as we're playing chess, not really taking into account how many I'm eating. And by the end of the night, I am full blown hallucinating. I mean, these edibles were potent and I go into like a psychosis, you know, and this, this isn't the Kundalini awakening, but this was just a psychosis in itself. I was literally like, yo dude, like I need to go to bed. Like I need to sleep this thing off. He's all laughing at me for sure. For sure. He's hanging out with my roommate. I go to bed and I'm having full blown hallucinations, man. Like seeing shit, hearing shit did not help my condition at all that I was already going through. I come out of that trip, that high, you know, very exhausted. And, and it kind of just rolled into what would become the spiritual awakening. So I'm already feeling all these stresses, just had that crazy edible trip. And I remember one night I go to sleep and I start having like these like intense dreams having to do with the Freemason sign. I remember I, in my dream, which it was a full on lucid dream. I mean, I was like there, I was in a desert walking to some location. And I knew that in my dream, the, the mission I was on was to take the Freemason sign back to the lodge. But there were two witches, one on each side of me, these haggard witches. And they were like sneering at me and like making fun of me and telling me not to take the Freemason sign back. And I remember like being strong and confident in myself and just kind of like ignoring them saying, no, I'm going to take this thing back. And I was in this really, really hot desert, just sweating profusely. And I remember feeling in my physical form here in this world, laying on my bed, I could feel myself sweating and my heart just beating rapidly crazy. And so I remember waking up from that dream, still kind of hearing the voices of the witches and hallucinating, seeing like geometric patterns flowing through my room and just feeling the intense energy of the pentagram in my living room and just freaking out. I was paralyzed, my heart just beating out of my chest. And, and I just sat there just scared out of my mind. And I had to slowly bring myself back into um, neutrality. And I started with my breathing, like, okay, control your breathing, control your heart, and suddenly controlled my mind until everything kind of subsided. It was just so psychedelic, and I knew I had to get up and go face the pentagram, and because I felt like there was, the witches were in my living room, so I had to go face it and, and show myself that, no, the witches are not there, it's all made up, it's all my mind. So once everything subsided and I was able to calm down, I forced myself up, went to go look at the pentagram. It's just sitting there. There's no witches in my living room. I go back to bed, kind of laughing. I'm like, all right. As soon as the sun hits my apartment, I'm getting up and taking that fucking thing back. And so I went to bed for a couple more hours. As soon as the sun was up, got up and took that thing right back to where I got it, left it there, left it alone. And so from that point forward, I just felt so strange. I felt like something happened. Something snapped within me. And like, I felt like I was being demonically attacked, I guess is the only way to put it. Like I felt like I was being attacked by demonic forces. I felt like I had entered a new realm and I just, I was in a psychosis, straight up psychosis. 
and I wanted nothing to do with occultism or esotericism. I almost threw away all my books. I wanted nothing to do with that. And I remember feeling that weird, ecstatic and euphoric feeling. Like I felt like I was out of my body all the time. Like I was, yeah, I just felt disassociated from everything. And like when I would talk to people, I just felt like I could see their energy and their aura. And I remember, for example, um, when I would go hang, out, go hang out with my girlfriend's parents who were very devout Christians, I, I would like see their auras and I felt like they were undercover angels. And I would just smile at them and I would say to myself, like, I know who you are. I know who you really are. I felt like everybody was like living in a secret world. Like they were either undercover angels or undercover, undercover demons. It was just weird, man. I was like hallucinating in a psychosis. And a lot of times when people are in psychosis, they, they think that um, they're being followed or they think that the people in their lives are a part of some sort of organization or that they're these undercover, are undercover entities of some sort. That's very common with people with psychosis. So, yeah, I went through that for like months, man. I was like, all right, something obviously is going on. Like, I'm kind of going crazy, schizophrenic or some shit. And so I just like, just stopped reading altogether, stopped doing anything mystical altogether until I could get a grip on my mind. And so I would just kind of live a normal life. Just, and I tried to like exercise a little more, exercise, go for walks, eat well. And it's funny because Gopi Krishna, I didn't mention it here, but if you read his book, that's exactly what happened to him. He went fucking crazy. He lost his appetite. He felt like, you know, his his family were strangers. He felt like just the entire world around him just got, got turned upside down and nothing made sense anymore. And he lost his appetite and all that. But slowly he regained his appetite and would slowly go for walks and stuff like that. And so that's what I did. I went out for walks. I spent a lot of time in isolation trying to like understand what was going on. I would try to eat better and just live a normal life until I regained myself. And so when you go through a Kundalini awakening and you allow it to process, eventually all the negative effects um, will be over. You'll go through the tumultuous process and then the rebirthing process takes place. The strengthening process takes place. And that's what happened to me. Slowly, I regained myself, my confidence. And I said, you know what? Fuck that. Like, I am strong. You know, I, I am here and I'm willing and I'm motivated. And it was funny, like, when the student is ready, the teacher shows up, right? And I wasn't reading anything for months. And one day I decided to go to this thrift store that I frequent and just to go shop around, check out the book section. And as I'm looking at the book session, I see basically the entire Earth Chronicle series by Zechariah Sitchin. And they're all sitting there just for like a dollar each. And, and they're all half off, so they're like 50 cents or whatever. I'm just like, no way. Like, this is no fucking way. If you don't know, Zechariah Sitchin was the first author to really start writing on the Anunnaki and all of that, which he was like my, he was one of my favorite authors for sure. And play a huge role in my awakening and so i'm sitting there like there's no fucking way these are sitting here right now i'm like i gotta have them i can't believe like at, the, at that moment i was literally contemplating of whether or not i should get them well for one i was broke i it was crazy as i literally only had enough money at the time to buy them it was like five bucks or some shit and 
So I, I was contemplating on getting them for one because it was like the only it was all the money I had, but two because I didn't want to get back into my studies and spiral back into my psychosis. But I said, you know what? This has to be a sign. This has to be a sign of God or the universe telling me to get back into it. So that was the literal moment where I said, "Fuck it, I'm not going to let." these weird psychosis feelings get to me. I'm going to get back into my studies and I'm going to do it like never before. And literally from that moment up until now, I completely redefined the way I approach information and knowledge. And it was that moment and that entire process of going through psychosis and freaking out and regaining my strength and my willpower that has created the esoteric eddy that you know and love because I approach everything now from a neutral, unbiased, unidentified standpoint. I do not identify with the information I read. I simply observe it. I simply learn it, analyze it, and then report it back to you and educate you on what I've learned. And so, yeah, man, I had a, a wild psychosis. Like, it was literally difficult and wild. I could have broke my mind, but I moved through it. And so, if you're going through that, definitely draw back from anything that is overexciting your mind and body and simply focus on the simplicity. Go for walks. You know, um, relax, man. Just, just take it all in with ease and slowly the kundalini the awakening will do what it needs to and then allow you uh, the power and energy and space to then be reborn and recalibrate your, your mind and body and then you will be able to become um, the new person and deal with life in these new ways with that i want to get back into the research so another very important person having to do with integrating western and eastern philosophy having to do with awakenings is is uh, itzhak bentov so itzhak bentov was an engineer turned mystic and i talked about him in my book and in my uh, documentary on project gateway he was actually involved in the original um project gateway CIA document. He was hired by the CIA to help them create a model to understand uh, the quantum realm and the spiritual realm. And Itzhak Bentov created the very first Western model, um, specifically the very first Western uh, academic medical model on how to understand kundalini and spiritual awakenings and so i'm not going to dive too deep onto that but i just wanted you to know that he was also an important player in this development of understanding spiritual awakenings and their actual rudimentary physical process and so he explained what is happening what is actually happening in the body when we go through this yeah so i just think his work is amazing and it just adds to the veracity of this process and the fact that it is dormant in everybody and can be accessed by everybody it is a science it's always been a science it was just a mystical science now turned you know practical science getting back to gopi krishna just for a little bit uh, once he started to break through the tumultuous part of the journey and start to acquire the new sentience and the new consciousness he started to lead an amazing life where he was just deeply connected now with the God consciousness, deeply connected with God, and had a heightened state of awareness and consciousness. 
And basically what this allows, and basically what this does for you is allows you to live a life with a strong clarity, a strong clarity in all of your senses and develop new senses and also just have a strong confidence in yourself because you know, you actually know and feel your eternalness and know and feel the presence of God. And so what that does for you is it allows you to live an awesome, authentic life where you are aware of yourself and your body and you are aware of what's good and bad for you and allows you to heal yourself and heal others because you can see it. You can see the hurt and pain in other people. That's a part of these heightened senses or that's a part of the heightened state of your five senses and a part of acquiring the new senses of clairvoyance. And with that, you are able to literally see people who are hurting. You can feel them on a different level. And I believe that's how Jesus was able to heal people. He had such an expanded uh, consciousness and sense of awareness. He could probably literally see the disease oozing out of people through their auras or whatever, you know, and was able to just walk up to them and be like, yeah, you got a demon right here. Let me heal that, you know. So it's a it's it's an amazing process that not only um, eradicates your body and mind of toxicity, but allows you to self heal and also heal others and live an awesome life of expanded consciousness where you are connected to God. And a couple other effects of these that I didn't go over is that a lot of times because you are now connected to these other dimensions, some people will see entities. You will see demonic or angelic entities. And so that is um, an effect of this. And Gopi Krishna underwent that. He explains in his book that he started to see weird shadow beings. And for me, I feel like a lot of it too is our, our subconscious mind coming out. Because um, as the integrated system of East and West states, when we undergo the spiritual awakening and we dive into our subconscious and bring it out, we are starting to flesh out a lot of these subconscious entities or subconscious archetypes that we've created, which are now being processed and faced head on. You know, you're facing your literal shadow self, which can manifest as these entities or paranormal activities that you experience. Um, and Gopi Krishna, I think, puts it in an awesome way when he says, when you finally get through the tumultuous journey, basically what happens is that the body is toned to a higher pitch of efficiency to ensure a cleaner and healthier state of the nerves and other tissue. And so we are quite literally rebirthed. Every cell in our body gets eradicated, rebirthed, and toned to a higher vibration. And because of this, sickness doesn't affect you in the same way. And honestly, I've noticed that about myself since I've been attending healing ceremonies and tapping into my higher self and allowing my natural kundalini awakenings to do their thing. I don't get sick as often, you know, and obviously, obviously that comes with eating better and working out more, which I do. But when I do get sick, it, it lasts very minimal because the body is like so heightened, the vibration is so heightened that it just deflects all of this and processes it in such a quicker way. And Gopi says here of his process, 
I merely observed the weird performance, the lightning-like movements of the lustrous, intelligent power commanding absolute knowledge of and dominance over the body. I did not know at the time that I was witnessing in my own body the immensely accelerated activity of an energy not yet known to science, which is carrying all mankind towards the heights of super-consciousness, provided that by its thoughts and deeds it allows this evolutionary force full opportunity to perform unhindered the work of transformation. Amazing. Yeah, I talk about that in my Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion documentary and book. I've said that I believe it's in our Creator's intention that we all undergo this process. And we're undergoing that process now as we go through the yugas, you know, go through the cyclical processes, go through the divine timing and timeline of our Creator. It's in our Creator's intention for all of us to get to the point where we are so evolved consciously where we can fully understand who and what we are and fully understand who and what it is and gopi also talks about the fact that when you go through this you get that of course heightened sense of awareness so you can actually sense your body you can actually feel your organs and you can actually send healing energy to your organs or whatever parts of your body need that healing like right now most of us are walking around numb we don't even know that we are a system we just think that we are ourselves and most of our awareness is just here in our head we just think we are our brain and most of our center is here when you go through this your awareness expands and you can feel your entire body and you can feel your beingness all throughout and you can send healing and love or whatever is necessary to those different parts of the body and another effect is your sexual energy becomes much more vital and much more active and much more important and that's why when you go through this you become more conscious about your sex life and your love life and you don't want to just share that with everybody because it is very vital to life. I mean, obviously, all of life gets here through sex, through the sexual and tantric uh, ceremony <clears throat> that we partake with the other person. All right, so to finish with Gopi Krishna's experience, I want to read to you what he concluded about this, which I think is an amazing explanation and conclusion on this. And then we're going to get into how to actually access his power and what to do with it. So he says, the one really remarkable change I perceive in myself is that not by my own effort, but by what at present I can only call grace as the result of a day-to-day -day observable but still incomprehensible activity of a radiant kind of vital energy present in a dormant form in the human organism, there has developed in me a new channel of communication, a higher sense. Through this extraordinary and extremely sensitive channel, an intelligence higher than that which I possess expresses itself at times in a manner as surprising to me as it might be to others, and through which, again, I am able on occasions to have a fleeting glimpse of the mighty, indescribable world to which I really belong. Yeah, again, so what this is really doing is cleaning your mind and body and reconnecting yourself to that infinite source, which is God. And you start to see that express itself through you and in your life. You start to see more signs. You start to have more downloads. Everything starts to become serendipitous and unfolding in a way that benefits you. And you are also led to other people's lives. You now become this healer and teacher for other people and are led to instances where you provide that healing for people. 
All right, so just to recap a little bit about the physical process and how to access this. At the bottom of our spine, where the sushumna is, resides the kundalini shakti, that vital energy source. It connects to the brain and pineal gland, thus the consciousness, through what are known as the nadis in the, um, the Vedic tradition. And the nadis are basically the nervous system. And in specific, there are two channels in the Vedic system, which are known as the, the Ida or Ida, which is the lunar feminine negative uh, channel, which is the left side, which runs up to the left nostril. And then we have the Pingala. The Pingala is the solar masculine positive right side, which runs up to the right nostril. And so that's why there are certain breath breathing techniques, which um, require you to, to breathe through one or the other nostril and stuff like that to specifically activate those channels. And when we are breathing through our nose in general, we are activating both of those channels. And so these systems, these nervous, the nervous system, the cerebral spinal fluid, and the pineal gland and the DMT, all of those act in accordance to cause this awakening. And that awakening, again, happens first by an introspective thought, a need, a calling for it. You have to have that calling, that need, because if you go into the meditation or whatever, you may have an experience, but you might not have a, a um, profound experience. The profound experiences come about by having that innate need or calling within you or from God to have it. So first that, so first you will need that. So first you'll have that introspective need, feeling, or calling. And then through any form of meditation, in order, in order to access it, you just need to have that yogic posture or some sort of repetitive uh, physical activity and also have the breathing or breath work in process and the meditation in process, allowing your mind to focus in on the process. So with those three, you will activate the Kundalini, activate the spiritual awakening. And so there are so many different methods and systems all around the world to do that and activate it. And again, it can happen on its own simply by you just living a life and going through the stresses of life and having profound moments of introspection and reflection. Real quick, I want to read a quote from Yogi Bhajan. So Yogi Bhajan was another one of these early yogis who brought Eastern philosophy to the West. And he's a controversial figure. There's actually a documentary out there and probably a few now having to do with his abuse on his students. And so apparently he had some very toxic traits, which is unfortunate because a lot of his teachings were very prolific and useful when having to do with Kundalini because he understood and also taught that Kundalini was a rudimentary physical process. You know, he wasn't one of these guys who tried to paint it as some fanatical mystical thing, unreachable and unattainable only by masters. No, he understood and taught that this was a very rudimentary and physical process. So, Yogi Bhajan says that you must generate the pressure of the prana, so basically the breath, and mix it with the apana, which is basically uh, the negative, so like the exhale, 
light that in and out. Thus, when the two join together, you generate heat in the pranic center. So again, fanning that flame. When you go through the breath work, you're exciting the oxygen in the brain and in the body, which then excites the nervous system, which starts to excite the sushumna, that center down there where the kundalini exists. And so with this heat of the prana, you put a pressure or charge on the kundalini, the soul nerve, which is coiled um, down by the muladhara, the bottom chakra. Uh, this will awaken it so that it may pierce through the imaginary chakras and pass ultimately through um, the final blockages in the spine before the energy reaches the head. Now he says um, here that when this happens, um, when we apply that pressure, it passes through the central nerve, of course, the sushumna, and it reaches the higher chakras or lotuses, and thus one can know his total surroundings, and he is a blessed being. Again, that expanded awareness, expanded consciousness, and you finally feel that psychedelicness of your eternalness. He also says, the pathway of energy from the rectum, the bottom of the spine, to the vocal cord is known as the silver cord. And then from the neck to the third eye or pineal gland is the golden cord. To make the energy rise in these cords and passage, you must apply hydraulic locks. You must apply pressure. So again, that breathing, but real quick, that silver cord and gold cord, that's the CSF, the cerebral spinal fluid, which I've spoken about in other works. And the cerebral spinal fluid, its mainstream medicinal purpose is actually to take information from the eternal organs and take them to the brain and back down. So it's a channel of information from the, the uh, organs to the brain. It helps discard toxins from both systems and also helps disseminate positive nutrients, uh, beneficial nutrients to the, the organs and the brain. And so it's a very powerful channel, right? So if, you're, if your brain is healthy, then your organs will be healthy and vice versa. But it also circulates and hits your pineal gland, so, um, which is again a portal to the other dimensions. So if your subconscious, if your higher self, which is accessed through the pineal gland, is at a heightened state and positive and, and um, free of toxins, right, free of demonic energy, that'll also come back through the portal channel and, and go throughout your body. But this hydraulic pressure that he's talking about, this is a physical process. And look, I'm not getting deep into how to do all of this in this video. There are a lot of videos out there, a lot of methods. But one method that I learned is you sit in the yogic pressure, and as you're doing the breath work, when you go through uh, these inhale and, and exhale processes, which are hydraulic in nature, you, you squeeze certain muscles. Like for one, and this might sound funny, one of these methods is when you're pulling in the prana from the bottom first, when you're taking that deep belly inhale, at the same time, you're squeezing your, your rectum, you're squeezing your butthole. And when you squeeze that butthole and, and then taking the, the breath and then exhaling and releasing, you're building a hydraulic pressure down there at the muladhara, which is where the kundalini is. So it's, these, these are all different systems and methods basically teaching you how to excite and activate the, the energy at the bottom of the nervous system. And so when you activate it or excite it, you create an energy, a spark, and it starts to become excited 
and then burst into what is kundalini and then rise up. So that's what he means by hydraulic pressure is you, is you literally squeeze and pulsate certain areas of the body as you move it up to the brain. And then you literally vibrate and pulsate the brain as well through uh, other exercises. So that's pretty much it, dude. That's what a spiritual awakening is. It's not just some imaginary mystical hippie thing. It is an outward emotional and spiritual expression of an internal physical process. So I want to end with a couple quotes from Swami Vivekananda, who was one of the very first yogis to ever come over here to the States and begin to teach the Vedantic ways. And so um, he played a huge role in all of that back in the late 1800s. And so he brought the Vedantic teachings to us and he spoke on Kundalini and all that, but he was much more about spreading positivity in self-awareness, bringing positivity in our willpower and allowing us to access that inner willpower and having us realize how powerful we really all are and how amazing life is when we access that power and use it for good. In one of his quotes, he says, brave, bold men, these are what we want. What we want is vigor in the blood strength in the nerves, iron muscles, and nerves of steel, not softening namby-pamby ideas. Yes, Swami Vivekananda, that is very true, especially today. When we access this power, we should be using it for strengthening, for bringing love and healing and protection to our people. Right? Because when you access that, you free yourself of toxins and you naturally become healed, healthy, and strong. And this is what we want. And this is the very opposite of what the matrix wants of us. The matrix wants us distracted, not to access this power and to be just full of toxicity. I'm going to end with this quote from Swami Vivekananda. But before I end, I just want to say thank you to everybody for watching this rocking with me dm me on instagram at esoteric eddie if you want some more information comment down below email me at contact at esoteric hit me up let's make some amazing stuff happen in this cool new year anyways love y'all gonna end on this quote right here from swami vivekananda the infinite power in the soul of man whether he knows it or not its manifestation is only a question of being conscious of it.